before we get going this morning, there's a couple of things uh, I want to acknowledge um, that I think are important. Um, one of them is, uh, you know, as a church community, we believe that the earth is a gift from God, and so together with the first peoples of this land, we are called to be stewards of this earth and are grateful for that privilege. And so I want to acknowledge that West Heights Community Church is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Hishinobe, and the natural peoples. And we recognize the importance of this land and how it's always been at the center of indigenous life. And, you know, as an Anabaptist church, we strive to make peace, reconciliation, and justice with all people a part of our community and with God's creation. And so we have to treat this land with its respect and understanding that it deserves and strive for peace and right relationships with all those who share it. I also want to make an acknowledgement that in this room, we have people who are of varying different um, neurodiversities, whether that is people who identify as being on the autism spectrum or who have ADHD. I want to acknowledge you this morning that you are a welcome part of this community and that you can engage in any way that is comfortable for you. We all know that everybody's mind works differently and we want everybody's perspective to be a part of what we do here this morning. And the last thing I want to acknowledge is that for way too long, we have made people like me the center of attention, people who look like me, people of my experience and perspective. And so I want to say that as a community, we stand for a diversity of perspectives wherever they come from. I think all of this is really important to acknowledge on a Sunday morning for a bunch of reasons, but one of the main ones being that to this morning we're going to talk about shifting our perspective. And one of the most life-giving things that's happened for me over the last number of years has been recognizing and learning and growing from people of all different perspectives and experiences. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this space, this physical space, this space in time, this time together. Jesus, we acknowledge uh, that we bring all sorts of different things to this space on a Sunday morning, whether that is experiences that have been challenging this week, moments of sorrow, moments of pain, but also moments of joy and celebration. And I pray that for all of us who are bringing different mixtures of those things into this room this morning, that you will speak to us. I pray that you will use the words that I say to trigger thoughts, ideas, experiences, challenge for myself and for everyone in this room. Thank you so much for gifting us the freedom of this space, and may we use it well for your purposes and for loving those around us. Amen. All right, I'm going to present you this morning with a very challenging, crazy, unbelievable thing. It's an ancient, life-altering practice that is free and doesn't require you to subscribe to any newsletters or pay any money to any one person. It is a life-altering experience that I discovered far too late in life that I want to share with you today. You ready for it? Naps. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I mean, I think most kids go through an experience where they love naps and then they hate naps, right? I think any of you who have children in this room or have been around children that go from baby to toddler, they start to reject naps as a concept. Uh, and then you have 
you know, when you're a teenager, you want to sleep all of the time, uh, except when you're supposed to be sleeping. Um, and as a young adult, especially, I, I, like, I would hear from friends and family that would talk about like, the glory of the Sunday afternoon nap and just not get it. Because for me, the way that I'm, the way I work, the way my brain is wired, I kind of have two modes which are like on and off and flipping, like it's like a light switch, not a dimmer. It doesn't like, it, it's hard for me to kind of calibrate back and forth between those two things. And uh, one of the things that I had always heard was that, you know, all of these like the benefits of naps and helping you catch up on your sleep and, you know, rest and all that good stuff. And I, I just never got it. I thought it was like, it was kind of like people telling me about a food they really loved that I just didn't have a taste for and never experienced. I just couldn't, I didn't have a category for why not, naps were so wonderful. And then this crazy thing happened to me, which is, well, it didn't happen to me, but we had children. And there's this like saying that you sleep when the baby sleeps, when you have, when you have little ones in your life. And I didn't really, under, I understood that intellectually. I understood like that made logical sense to me, but experientially I couldn't really make sense of it until I was desperately sleep deprived all of the time. And I was the lucky one in, in, in our relationship where I got more sleep uh, than my partner Jillian did. And, um, it, but I learned all of a sudden that like naps are, you guys, incredible. Like, <laughs> Naps are a wonderful thing. And I like, literally, it was like a learned skill for me where I all of a sudden realized that I think out of pure exhaustion, if I ever was semi-horizontal, sometimes not even that, I just was sitting down, I could fall asleep like instantly. And that's crazy to me because I am a lifelong person who's always struggled with sleeping well. I've always struggled to fall asleep, stay asleep. All I've tried every, you know, which way of thing that you can, you can figure out. And, and the idea that all of a sudden I could go from that to being able to basically like close my eyes for a split second and wake up 20 minutes later and feel like this weird sensation of being like revitalized and energized and I could tackle the tasks of the day. It was a shocking experience. And so I started to like preach about naps to people. I'd be like, have you heard about this thing called naps? Naps are amazing. You should try it. Like I felt like one of those people that like finally discovered like a good coffee mug and then is like buying it for everybody that they know. I was like, naps are the best. And to this day, I still really appreciate a really good nap. And hot tip, if you really want to, if you hate the groggy feeling after a nap, which was like one of my big resistance points, you drink a cup of coffee right before you fall asleep. Because it takes like 20 minutes for your body to metabolize the caffeine. And so when you wake up from that 20-minute nap, you're ready to go, baby. It's awesome. So highly recommended, okay? Um, but I'm actually not here to give you nap tips today. But it's an example to me of a perspective shift that happened in my life which is that I used to think that naps were basically for babies and old people and that they were not for me and I didn't understand what the purpose was. And then all of a sudden I recognized that there is this powerful shift that happens when things in your life change. What had changed for me is that I went from being somebody who was functionally sleep deprived to categorically sleep deprived. I was exhausted all the time. And because guess what? Being a parent, it's kind of hard. And I needed that rest, and my body forced me to change my perspective on, on how I saw something, which was that like napping is a good thing, and that I could do it, and I could find a way to do it that worked for me, and that perspective shift was literally life-altering. <laughs> like I could function in a way that I couldn't when I was kind of resisting this idea. And I think 
that happens to us all the time, right? That happens to us all the time where all of a sudden something shifts in life and we have to re-examine how we look at the world. We have to re-examine how we act and, and interact with the world around us. And I think for a lot of us right now in 2022 are probably saying, if we could maybe slow the change down, that would be really nice for a little bit. Can we maybe just, you know, I saw something on the internet this week that said, can we please, please, please go back to precedented times? Um, I'd really like those precedented times back instead of always living in unprecedented this, unprecedented that. Um, I think for a lot of us, we're change exhausted. And so the idea of more change, always changing, always shifting, always altering, it sounds exhausting just even saying it out loud. But I think one of the things that I've started to realize over the last number of years is the fact that what actually is happening in those moments where we feel change exhausted, when we feel resistant, is not actually the change's fault. Because the world is always changing. We're always changing. The world is always shifting around us. What ends up happening is that our perspective hasn't caught up, right? The world is changing around us, but our mindset about the world around us hasn't caught up to the fact that the world around us is changing. And what I think has happened over the last number of years for many of us, myself included, is that that pace kind of happening unabated has made us kind of finally recognize that we actually need to kind of learn how to live in the world in a different way. We need to learn how to live in a world that does change very rapidly and kind of unexpectedly. And then maybe for many of us, we've grown up in, in a life that has been so stable and so privileged that we don't recognize that for many people in the world, this is how they've lived their lives for generations. And so what I want to kind of wrestle with this morning a little bit is that idea, you know, I jokingly said that, you know, we're going to talk about this life-altering idea of naps today, but really this idea that we have to, if we want to grow, we have to change and shift our perspective. And uh, I love this passage that we're going to look at today, where Jesus is, uh, you know, it's kind of early on in Jesus' ministry, he has started to gather a group of followers that are following him as uh, disciples, as learners. And as he's going through his ministry, he's kind of having these different encounters. And in the book of Matthew, um, the author recognizes and starts to kind of record all of these different interactions he's having with different people. And sometimes they seem kind of almost random. You know, it, stop, it jumps from story to story to story. And, and you know, you can see a thread that weaves through them, but sometimes it's a little, you know, it feels like just these little snippets, these little vignettes, almost little like Instagram stories of, of Jesus' ministry. And when we get to this point, uh, in the passage we're going to look at today in Matthew, um, uh, Matthew 9, Jesus is, is speaking to a group of people, and some followers of John the Baptist come up to talk to him. And, and John the Baptist, for those of you, just for some cultural context, John the Baptist was a preacher and teacher in Jesus' day. He was a prophet. Um, he's recognized a lot of the time in, in the Gospels as somebody that was... Um, uh, paving the way for Jesus prophetically. He was the one that was telling people that the Messiah was coming. His whole ministry was kind of built around preparing and, and, and kind of, in, in many ways, starting to shift the perspective that Jesus was going to take and then radically alter for the people of, of Israel. And um, so John gathered, just like Jesus, John gathered a bunch of people that, that believed in what he was saying and, and saw the value of what it was saying and, and decided that they were going to change uh, their life a little bit by, by following him as their leader. And so John the Baptist, just like Jesus, had disciples. He had followers. He had people that kind of followed him around and listened to him and saw him as a leader. 
And so some of these followers of John the Baptist, because John uh, wove his ministry together with Jesus's and used his ministry to amplify Jesus's teaching, his, his followers kind of got kind of mixed up with some of Jesus's people and would start to interact on a regular basis. And so some of John the Baptist's followers come to him one day and ask Jesus a question. And, and we're going to see this uh, passage right now up here, which is that um, it starts in verse 14, where we're going to start today. It says that John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And then Jesus answered them, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn when he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will, take, will be taken from them, and they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wineskin, sorry, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So a couple of kind of cultural observations I want to kind of point out here uh, before we dig into this a little bit. So Jesus uses a couple of analogies or parables, very short parables in this, that have some cultural meaning that we maybe don't recognize as people that live in the modern world. Um, one of them is the first one he uses is he talks about uh, people sewing cloth, on a patch of cloth onto an old garment. Um, and for those of you, you know, I, I grew up in the 90s where patches were kind of more of an accent than a functional thing. You know, the only patches I can kind of picture being on my clothing as a kid was like I had a giant Ghostbusters patch on one of my jeans. Um, I, it, it was not super useful as a patch, but it looked really awesome. Um, patches in the, in the old world were designed to fix a hole in a garment. And, and if you know anything about fabric, you know, fabric shrinks when you wash it, especially natural fabrics, right? And so if you were to put a brand new piece of cloth on a previously shrunken item, as soon as you were to wash it for the first time, all those seams would rip because the shrunken piece of fabric would all of a sudden be too small, small too small, too small, for the garment, and it would rip away at the stitching and basically be ruined. You'd have to repatch the, the, the clothing all over again, right? The second one is wineskins, and this is one that's even a little bit more difficult for us to wrap our minds around because we don't buy wine in skin bottles. Um, but basically, if you think of it, just think of like a big leather pouch that they would keep wine in. And the reason why they used leather was because leather is, is, is a flexible material, right? It stretches. Any of you have ever had like a leather jacket or a leather belt? You know, it, it, it kind of... It, it grows a little bit as it gets worn and, and pulled on and stretched. But there's a limit, especially as it starts to dry out, it becomes brittle. And so what they would do is when they would pour wine into wineskin or wine into wineskins, when it was new wine, wine continues to ferment after it's been bottled. And so if it was in an old wineskin and you put new wine into an old wineskin, that expansion would actually explode the container. And so then it would like literally go everywhere, right? It would be a big mess. And so they would always put new wine into fresh wineskins that had some flexibility so that they could adapt and, and, and accommodate the kind of further expansion of the wine. And so Jesus uses these two analogies after he answers them in a very, you know, um, quintessential rabbinic tradition, which is as a rabbi teacher, he would, he would use questions as a way of answering a question. And so the question he answers the, the John's followers is basically they ask him, well, how come... We regularly fast, we regularly don't eat as a way of acknowledging our sin, a way of mourning for the mistakes we've made. But your people don't do this. Why, why don't your people do this? 
Essentially, what they're coming to him with, the question is, how come your disciples don't act like us? How come your followers do things that we don't do and vice versa? Essentially, what they're asking Jesus is they're kind of, I think in a very reasonable way, kind of poking at his credibility. They're basically saying, Jesus, how come you've told us you are calling us to a new way of living in the world, but your people don't do the things that we kind of associate with being holy? Are, are you legit? Are you a real teacher? Like, can we trust you? And I think sometimes we, we sometimes, I think, I think as followers of Jesus get very defensive of Jesus in these moments and say, how would they, how rude, don't they know he's the son of God? They should do what he says, right? And I think they're, they're actually asking this question from a very honest place. I think they're asking him, how come you're saying we have, like, how come your people are different than we are? How come they're trying to reconcile that Jesus is shifting their perspective, but they don't really know how to put that into practice. Because ultimately, what Jesus is confronting them with is the fact that fasting as a behavior is typically a behavior that's associated with essentially atoning for your sins in Jewish culture. Fasting was done as a way to recognize your, your limitations as a person and to go to God with your, with your you know, making a choice to abstain from a, an essential human function, to eat. To make that choice as a way to to acknowledge to God that you are, are, that you've made mistakes and that you want to change. And so essentially what John's followers are asking Jesus is like, should we be continuing to do this? Because your, your people don't do this. And, and I think as followers of Jesus, we look at this and say, well, they should do what Jesus says because we're Jesus followers and Jesus tells us what to do. And so this seems really clear, but I think it's really fascinating to me that Jesus doesn't immediately tell them that they're wrong or if they're right. He asks them a question. And he asks them a question because he's wanting to expand the way they think about the world. He's wanting to ask them to become curious and to observe that maybe something else is going on other than just having a list of things you either do or don't do. And so really what Jesus is doing is he's asking them to recognize that if they want to grow as people, if they want to change and adapt to the new world that God is building, if they want to adjust their perspective, that they're going to need to rethink how they act in the world. They're going to have to change both their mindset and their practice. Really what Jesus is saying to them is basically, if you want to grow, personal growth requires you to change your behavior and mindset based on your context. Personal growth requires you to change your behavior and mindset based on your context. Now, this is one of those things that sounds really simple conceptually, like in our minds, we can say, well, of course, if you're going to, if something's changed, you should change. Like that sounds pretty easy to wrap our brains around. But part of the challenge for us in putting this into practice often is the fact that we as human beings kind of have two contradictory impulses. We really, really love stability. We love sameness. We really want things to be predictable and stable. And yet, at the same time, we crave fresh and new experiences. We want novelty. We want adventure. We want difference. And so it's really difficult in our minds sometimes to reconcile which one do we need. Because if we go too far to either direction, if we go for new, new, new all the time, it's chaos. And if we go for same, 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 stable, stable, stable all the time, it's boring and life kind of is stale and uninteresting. 
And so we as people, we all have different personalities. Some of us are more novelty-seeking and some of us are more stability-seeking. But I think what Jesus is asking them to do is to wrestle with the idea that if we want to grow as people, we have to continually adapt to the world around us, even as we know internally we are seeking stability, even though we know internally we would rather live in a world that stayed the same all the time. And so I think really what he's asking them to do is he's offering them a choice in the form of a question. He's saying basically, do you want to stay where you are or do you want to go to a new place? Do you want to grow? Because growth isn't possible without change. Now that might sound about as life-altering as the idea that the sky is blue and up or that the maple leaves are gonna disappoint us. Like, that might sound just like a fundamental fact about the universe, but putting that into practice is really, really difficult. Because how many times in your life have you known that the world around you is changing and everything inside of you is just crying out, please, no, I just want it to stay the same for a little bit. You know, some examples we might think of is, you know, I think sometimes we kind of ossify or we kind of get stuck in our behavior because we, think, we can think of all the time of examples of ways that where when changes happen, we've failed to adapt to them or we've overcorrected or we've, we've felt kind of um, bitten by the attempts to, to find a new way in the world, right? Um, but I also want you to think about maybe some of those examples in your life where your failure to change, your failure to adapt to your surroundings, your failure to adjust to the context has also cost you something. You know, some examples I was thinking about this week is, you know, has anybody here ever had a very chatty neighbor? Some of you might be neighbors with each other, so don't put up your hands. Um, but if you've ever had that really, really chatty neighbor that like you have like nine bags of groceries in and they want to tell you everything about that, that happened to their cat that week and you're like, I, I, your cat is lovely, you're lovely, I got to go inside, these are really heavy. Like, if you've ever had a neighbor like that and then you move, you might have an instinct to not really build as much of a relationship with your new neighbor, right? Because your new neighbor, you don't want to kind of, st you kind of protect yourself of like, well, I don't want to get into that relationship again where I'm trapped with like Wilson next door who wants to tell me about everything that's ever happened to him, okay? That is an example of like sometimes we just, we overcorrect, right? And we don't, we don't want to change. We want to, we want to keep doing the old behaviors. Um, anybody of you ever had a shared work project? School? work, right? You have a shared work project and you know that you're literally the only person who's doing all of the work all of the time, right? I see a couple of teenagers nodding their heads there, right? You've got like all the freeloaders and then you're the like only person who's holding that mark in your hands like a tiny small bird, right? We do that and then we take that experience and we copy and paste it to every group project we ever do for the rest of our lives, right? And what ends up happening is that we sometimes lose out on, on good information or actually like somebody to share the load with us because we just assume everybody around us doesn't want to carry their weight. You know, I think one of the most profound examples of this for me has come from parenting where I recognize that something that worked with my kids when they were three or four years old doesn't work when they're, they're 10 and they can think a little bit more abstractly and can debate you out of uh, every rule you've ever made in your entire life, right? Sometimes the thing, we, we try to take that principle that worked when our kid was young, we have clear rules and clear boundaries and then we recognize that they actually need to learn how to operate without rules and boundaries because sometimes there isn't a rule that works for that situation, right? I think we can all think of, of areas of our life where we've sometimes gotten stuck in trying to apply a behavior in a context where it doesn't work, where it no longer is appropriate. 
In short, we basically get stuck thinking that because something worked in the past, it's going to work in the future. And that even though the situation has changed, we should be able to just basically expect the world around us to adapt to the behavior that we prefer instead of adapting to the world as it is. And so it really means that if you want to grow as a person, I think Jesus is really challenging us with this question of staying curious to the fact that our surroundings have shifted and we have to adapt our behavior to match so that it's appropriate and so that we continue to grow. And so really what I want to do this morning, just as we kind of get into some more practical things, I want to look at this passage that Jesus had and, and really examine how Jesus, in, right in this very short scenario, gives us actually a couple of really key tools or practices we can use in order to start to shift into this new way of being. And the first one is we have to start to recognize our positions in the world. We have to recognize that our position in our context is maybe different, right? We have to recognize that our position influences how we should behave. And I want to back up to um, earlier when Jesus is using, looking at this wedding. Oh, do we reorganize them? Sorry about that. Um, this is number one now. Just roll with me. Um, okay, so you're going to recognize your position. So we're going to look at uh, earlier in this wedding passage that Matthew looks at. He talks about, Jesus says to them, imagine your guests at a wedding. I'm paraphrasing. Imagine your guests at a wedding, okay? When you're a guest at a wedding, you act very differently than if you're the person getting married at the wedding, right? If I, as a guest, got up and went around to every single table and thanked them for coming and said, that was a really lovely gift that you brought us, thank you, you, you really didn't need to do that. And oh yeah, isn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the bride beautiful? And if I went around and did the like bride and groom thing where I visited every table, like it would be weird, right? It would be really creepy. But likewise, if I was the person getting married and I sat at a back table and just joked around with the three people that I'm sitting with, that would also be weird, right? Your position indicates the kind of behavior you should be taking in a particular context. And so sometimes I think for some of us, what changes in a situation isn't necessarily the situation itself, but our position inside of that situation. Jesus is calling people to recognize, calling us to recognize that sometimes what we need to change or how we need to change is that we need to recognize that our role in a particular situation may have changed. I'll give you a really concrete example right now. I used to stand on this stage as a staff person. I used to like spend every week thinking of things to say to people about Jesus. I, I don't do that anymore. I'm what I call a normal now. Um, and I could say that because I used to not be a normal. Um, you get a special privilege when you used to not be a normal and now you're a normal. Um, because, newsflash, being a pastor's it's really hard. Like, it's re I had to do it, like, part-time for, like, 20 hours this week in my brain just to prepare for this. Like, pr pray for your pastors. Pray for Josh. Pray for... It's really hard. I don't, I don't know how I did it. Like, my position has changed. I, I'm not here as Pastor Tom anymore. When people say that, sometimes just kind of, like, offhandedly, I'm, like, it, it feels, like, weird, like I'm wearing somebody else's coat. Like, your position changes, right? And that, 
that isn't a bad thing. It just means that your perspective has shifted. And there's lots of things that I love about not being a pastor. There's things I miss about being a pastor. Like your position will change. You might get a new job at the same company. Guess what? Your position has changed. You might have a position of power and privilege that you no longer have. Your position has changed. You might used to have been somebody who did the work and now you have to manage people who do the work. Your position has changed. You might have had little kids and now you have teenagers that tell you jokes about things on the internet that you don't understand and make you feel like a very, very walking skeleton kind of person. Things change, right? But what used to work for your old position maybe doesn't work for your new position. And so recognizing that your role has changed in any given position, any given context, can really change the way you look at a problem. It may mean that the thing that you need to make that problem work is going to be different for you in this position than it was in another position. We're going to go back to actual point one, which is recognizing, sorry, examining and acknowledging your circumstances. See, one of the main ways that Jesus challenges John's disciples in this moment is that he says to them, imagine you're at a wedding. Okay? Now, weddings come with like particular rules. We talked about a few of those already earlier, right? And he really he uses a literal example of a wedding because he's talking about a behavior, fasting, that would be inappropriate in a celebratory context because it's a, it's, it's, it's a behavior in a context that's meant for celebration that is counter to celebration, right? We've all been in those uh, party contexts. You've been at a party and you're like going around and like the food is amazing and everybody's having a great time. And then you go to talk to that like friend or coworker and you're like, oh man, isn't the food amazing? And they go, I can't. I'm, 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 I'm trying to not eat sugar right now. And I'm like, I get it. Also, there are cookies and I really like the cookies. And now I feel bad that I like the cookies. Like in certain contexts, like, I get it, people are doing different things in their lives, but like, in certain, like that feels uncomfortable for a reason, right? Because you're in a celebratory context and that person's kind of brought, brought it down a little bit, right? <laughs> Let's acknowledge that that is, sometimes I'm that person who I'm like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't really like party, it's too loud, right? And I'm like, I'm, I'm being the like downer in the room, right? Like that, that happens because the context, we expect certain things based on certain contexts. And so Jesus is saying to the people, yeah, why would you fast when you should be celebrating? The moment will come where you need to fast again. And so our, when we acknowledge and examine our context, it gives us clues and indications about what maybe we need to shift. You know, I think we all know we've been in moments where we are stubbornly insisting on sticking with a behavior that worked in one context that no longer applies. We can all think of moments in our lives where we have been in contexts where what used to work isn't working anymore. And we can be frustrated. I think it's good to acknowledge that we're frustrated by that. But I think it's also really important to recognize that the ground has shifted. The environment is different. What is needed now isn't necessarily going to work. What used to work isn't going to work now. What got us to where we are now isn't going to necessarily take us to where we're going. And I want to just call it one last quick thing. There's a really small part of a sentence in this that, that Jesus says that I really want to acknowledge here, which is that 
We have to practice patience when we're doing this. We have to practice patience. Because Jesus says, as he's describing this to them, and it's really quick to click over to this, he says, you know, we don't fast right now, but when the time comes, they will fast. When the time comes. I think sometimes, especially in the modern world, we're so easily wrapped up in the pace of change around us, we think we must make a split-second decision and go with our first instinct, or we're going to be left behind. Now, I'm not, recon- I'm not suggesting that we delay or avoid or act willfully ignorant about a situation. When things change, we need to change. But sometimes the best thing we can do to get the knowledge of the situation we need to change is just take a breath, to just wait, to practice wondering, wait a second, maybe something new is needed. Or maybe I just need to wait and I don't need to actually participate in all this noise and fuss and I'll wait until a new time comes and then I can engage again. You know, I think it's really interesting that Jesus uses these two analogies of things that would break if we rush to fix them, right? If you put new wine in an old wineskin because you're rushing to get it into the container, what happens? Kablooey, right? I think he's warning us that part of what we need to do is be patient and acknowledge the situation around us because it will hurt us and hurt other people if we rush to make a decision too quickly, if we rush to change too quickly. He's calling us to live in a posture to the ever-changing world where we counter the speed of the world around us, the growth of the world around us, with patient curiosity. And so I think that's a really important uh, thing to land on, but I want to give you one last kind of practical tip here. No, I didn't forget what the tip was. The power of the awkward silence. I was in a seminar uh, a little bit ago about how to do good Zoom meetings. They threw out a really interesting statistic. Do you know what the average time is between when someone asks any questions and when they keep talking again? Two seconds. Okay, so the average time when somebody on a Zoom call, it also works in person, where someone says, anybody got any questions? Any questions from the audience? All right, so my next thing is two seconds. Do you know what the average time it takes if you just leave the space for somebody to ask, think, and actually ask a question? Six seconds. Three times as long. I could do that math. That's wild. Awkward silences are a beautiful gift because awkward silences give us the moment in time where we can pause, look at ourselves, look at our surroundings, look at the people that we are with, and ask ourselves, maybe something is moving, maybe something is changing. I've started to use a little shorthand in my brain for when this happens, this awkward silence. I've started to relabel them instead of awkward silences. We use this shorthand in our family called buffering. You know when you're like, those of you who grew up before the days of like fiber internet would like try to watch YouTube in like 2005 and it would take like nine minutes for the video to load? It's called buffering, when like the internet is trying to catch up to what you want to watch. That moment of buffering where I'm I'm waiting for people to process, is a gift for me to center myself, 
to think, to ask questions about what their questions might be, to watch people's reactions, to read the room. You know, I think this parable is so simple that Jesus gives us because he knows that doing this is so much harder than just understanding it. And so he keeps it really tight and really simple. That's so Jesus-like to me that in the midst of all of these miraculous things he's doing, somebody comes and asks him a question and he just takes a moment and asks them a question back. He doesn't give them a 35-minute sermon about all of the ways that they can practice being patient and present in their world. He just asks them a question. And I think it's because Jesus knows that the way that we live best in the world isn't static. It isn't being stuck in time. It's a flowing relationship that responds appropriately to the questions that the world is asking us. You know, how we get there, how we get, got here, how we got here in our lives isn't going to take us to where we're going because it's a new place. And that new place is going to need a new mindset and a new behavior. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for awkward silences. Thank you so much for new wine in new wineskins. Thank you that you give us space to grow and change, that you call us to respond to the world with curiosity instead of sticking with what we know. And sometimes we need something new and sometimes we need to bring something out from the closet we've forgotten about. Whatever that is today, Jesus, I pray you help us to find those moments in our life and to be the kind of people that change with the world around us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.